C.W.'s house is almost impossible to find. It lies in the center of the city, in a cul-de-sac connected to the crowded streets by the narrowest of alleys. It has no address and is surrounded by tall hedges, in one of which is a barely discernible pathway. Thorny blackberry bushes discourage passage, and poison oak is rife. Had I not received such a warm invitation, I might have turned back rather quickly. But it is the first interview he has granted in nearly thirty years. It is unlikely he will live to grant another. On this particular day, the air is heavy with the promise of something. A culinary disaster, perhaps. Dark clouds in the shape of pots hang oddly near the peaked roof of his shingled house. Large birds, ravens, possibly, congregate in the eaves. From old and rotted window boxes spill hundreds of bright flowers. I recognize Helianthemum, Alyssum, Ranunculum, and Cistus, and there are other more exotic types. On either side of the brick wall, which appears quite suddenly near the house, are large clay pots. Some are empty, while others seem to be the final resting place for broken and weathered statues. There is a flamingo, its long neck bent several times at right angles to each other, and a dancing bear missing an ear and part of its nose. In one of the pots, a single-winged angel balances on the nose of a seal, and from another juts a human torso whose head is nothing more than a steel reinforcement rod. As I approach the door, I listen for sounds inside, but all I hear is the low and steady rumble of the city, broken occasionally by hoarse croaks from the black birds. There is no knocker on the door, and I can't find a bell. After using my knuckles five or six times to no avail, I give up. Recalling that his invitation warned that he was a heavy sleeper, I search for other means to rouse C.W. Sticking out of one of the empty pots is a wooden baseball bat, on which has been carved, in lieu of Louisville Slugger or some such thing, exceptional methods. The grip is comfortable, and once the bat is in my hands it seems clear what I am to do. Receiving no response to a final tap, I raise the bat and in one fluid swing knock down the door. Behind it, to my surprise, is another. It is made of glass and opens quite easily with the knob. The hall in which I enter is dark and full of the smell of German cooking. In less than a minute, C.W. himself greets me. He has a lived-in odor to him, as well as another more gamey smell. Red meat, perhaps. After shaking my hand, he steers me to a sitting room equally as dark as the hall. When he turns on a lamp, I get my first glimpse of him. He is a short man, stocky and full in the stomach. He sports a full beard, which is dotted with breadcrumbs and hopelessly matted. His eyes are unreadable, lying as they do in the shadow of prominent brow ridges. Above them, almost in the center of his forehead, is a depression, as though a part of his skull were missing. He sits in a worn armchair and motions me to another near the lamp. I am careful as I walk, because books are everywhere, not just on shelves and tables, but piled on the floor, even stuffed along the edges of the seat cushions. There is one at my back and a slimmer volume at my side. 
The first is the Aeonid, in Latin. The other, Jane Fonda's workout book. Once I am settled, I turn on the tape recorder.